Hey, Crosswalk, welcome. Listen, before we get started today, we know that we're moving into a school year for some of our uh, colleges as well as a lot of our high school students and our teachers. So I wanted to just spend a moment praying for our teachers and for our students. Let's bow our heads real quick. Lord of grace, this is a strange year and we know this is gonna be taxing on students and it's definitely gonna be taxing on teachers. Lord, I ask that you give them courage. I ask that you give them strength and stamina. I ask that you give them just the opportunity to either see hope at the end of the tunnel in the midst of this craziness that we're dealing with, or we give them a sense of real purpose so that everyone can cooperate together to create a wonderful learning environment. We ask this for all of our teachers and for all of our students. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we're in, I think, our 10th week on our Faith by Design series. So there's three more after this, and we are continuing the last few weeks. Now, what we've been doing is we've been using the book of James to try and create, help us design a faith life that is not only something that is efficacious for us, but it's something that brings us closer to God. And James has mentioned our topic before, but Today, he's going to give a pretty dire warning. In fact, when he started speaking about those who are wealthy, and we'll get to that more, but he did it first in James 1, 10 and 11, where he mentions the rich and that they were fading like flowers in the field. That's quite illustrative. They're fading like flowers in the field. So I'm going to ask you a question to begin, and we'll ask it again towards the end. But the question is this, what is your relationship to that which is transitory? So whether it's, it's money or it's things, what is your relationship to that idea of those things that ultimately and often fade away? I mean, those things that wealth brings, right? Is your relationship fleeting with them? Because it always seems like you're losing money or losing things. Are you a hoarder? Do you hoard this stuff? Are you always chasing those kinds of transitory things? Or are you always dreaming that life would be better? Money talks. And our money speaks volumes as to what it is that we value. But but we're going to ask a few questions before we jump into the text. The first question is, who is James speaking to in this section? Because it's going to be easy for us when he says, hey, wealthy, hey, rich, it's going to be easy for us to say, well, he's not speaking to me because I don't deem myself as wealthy. Because the truth is, there's always somebody who has something more. We know that old phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Well, it seems like Joneses are all around us, and there's always somebody who has something more. But in the grand scheme of things, we actually are relatively wealthy when it comes to the idea of what or how we live our lives in accordance with the rest of the world. We actually do have quite a bit. If you are watching this now, you're doing better than the majority of the world. But we know this. We know that James is speaking specifically to the unbelieving wealthy or the unrighteous. The wealthy were often considered unrighteous, often because of how they gained their wealth and how they used their wealth in particular. So in the middle of this letter that James is writing to those believers, he is also speaking to unbelievers who are wealthy and who have gained their wealth in, I don't know if nefarious ways is the right way to say it, but in ways that hurt other people. So we ask the question, why does James preach this message to non-Christians in a letter addressed to the church? And John Calvin actually addressed this, and he appropriately isolates two main purposes of why this happened. James, you see, 
he says, has regard for the faithful, that they, hearing of the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their fortune so much. And also that knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrongs they suffered, they might with a calm and resigned mind bear their burdens and where they are. So I guess we have to ask another question, right? Are the rich simply unrighteous? Now, often in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, wealth was attained on the backs of the oppressed and then hoarded and lorded over them. Someone always profits from systems of oppression. That happened in the Old Testament, it happened in the New Testament, and it happens even today. But we have to remember that there was a different kind of world and economy that God wanted us to live with and through and in. Because you got to remember the economy that God established in the Old Testament. It was a Sabbath economy, one that was not built on scarcity, but on abundance and on the overturning of lending and usury every seven years. Listen, if you want to read a great book on the idea of the Sabbath, it's called The Sabbath as Resistance by a theologian named Walter Brueggemann. I love the way that he writes about the Sabbath. And the way that he writes about a Sabbath economy about how things revert back to their original owners, no matter what the case had been, and how people who were in debt were freed every seven years. It's a Sabbath economy. You see, the Sabbath pushes back on our society of consumption, achievement, performance, and and possession. And this should be particularly important to those of us who call ourselves Sabbatarians. Because remember, we're not just keeping the Sabbath right? We're not just keeping a day, but we are living in an ideological principle that overturns society's conceptions of economics and environmentalism and and what it means to consume. All of these things are wrapped up in this idea of Sabbath. So as Christians, we should know that God has a different plan when it comes to economics to begin with. So when James reaches out and says, you rich, and he equates that with unrighteousness. The reason why he's doing that is because that has been the way their economy had been for a very long time. So maybe when we read these texts, we should keep one question in mind. And the question is this, when do we have too much? Now, you might not like this question, I understand that, because we all struggle with it. When we move to unrighteousness is when too much becomes a problem because our pursuit of something, you know, when it has become too much for our character, too much for our hearts and too much for our souls because we're willing to be unrighteous in order to get the things that we need or in order to hold on to the things that we need, we are willing to ignore oppression or we're willing to ignore the hurt that it's causing other people. That's when our wealth moves us to unrighteousness. But we'll probably deal with this again. And while today's texts seem very negative, they confirm a theme that we see in Scripture. You see, James is spending time in this very practical book dealing with one of the most practical issues for everyone, which is our relationship with money, how we get it, how we hold on to it, how we protect it. But it's nothing new. In fact, his language sounds like the language of the Old Testament and the prophets of old. Isaiah, Zechariah, Amos, Hosea, Ezekiel, All of those reach out to those who ignore others, especially when it comes to finances. In fact, I'll read from Amos 8.3. In that day, the singing in the temple will turn to wailing. 
Dead bodies will be scattered everywhere. They will be carried out of the city in silence. I, the sovereign Lord, has spoken. These are harsh words. And so let's jump into the book of James and see if he sounds a little bit like Amos, and I think he does. Now, he begins with the exact same phrase that he began last week. Look here. Come now. Seriously, these are the words that he's using. We translate it in the New Living Translation as look here. And it starts like this. It says, look look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. And this is foreshadowing, right? He's setting the tone of rebuke using the same beginning as last week. But there is no encouragement in these texts, just so you know. These next six texts that we're dealing with are not super easy for us to deal with. And he says, you weeping and groan, weeping and groan, or weeping and moaning. Now, what you have to understand is this, weeping and moaning are onomatopoeias, right? They're the words that sound like what they represent. Swish, plop, pew. If you remember um, Batman, the old, old Batman series, you know, bam, pop. Those were the kind of things. That's what an onomatopoeia is, a word that sounds like the thing it is describing, right? And so moaning and groaning, moaning and wailing, weeping and wailing, all of those things in the Hebrew language sound like you are actually moaning and weeping and wailing. And so it sounds like Isaiah, right? These old prophets, Wail at the gates, weep in the cities, melt with fear, you Philistines. A powerful army comes like smoke from the north. Each soldier rushes forward, eager to fight. These prophets reached into the community to remind them of what they were doing wrong, how to repent and how to redirect. And James wants redirection as well. Remember, prophets are not always about the future. Rather, they are about the present direction of a people and how we can change it. And James is functioning in a prophetic role to those whom he is speaking to. And the truth is, oftentimes, when you speak into the culture that you are living in, and pastors do this sometimes too, you speak prophetically to try and change a direction. And so James is speaking, while he's speaking into the unbelieving culture, he knows that those who are listening, those believers who are listening, who are reading his letter, will listen and understand that there's a direction they should not head. In James 5, 2, he says, listen, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes, they're moth-eaten rags. And this is, again, the transitory nature of things, right? You can't take it with you. So I wonder if that's true. If we should ask ourselves this question right now, what legacy are you leaving? Are you leaving a brick and mortar legacy? Is it a legacy of things? Or is it a legacy of love? I mean, what will your kids remember about you? What will your community remember about you? What is the mark that you are leaving on this earth? And is the earth a better place for it? Does it seem a little bit more like heaven because of what you have put in place in your life? You see, James didn't care much for the legacy of the unrighteous rich. Their focus on the importance of those things that will rot away did not impress James at all. Have you ever seen that show, what is it called, American Pickers? I don't know what station it's on. We're we're past stations, right? We don't look at channels anymore. We just find what we wanna watch and push the button. So I, I like sometimes to watch that show, American Pickers, because they find stuff in the midst of a great pile of junk. But there's also something that always saddens me about that show. And it's usually because someone has been collecting for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. 
and they end up with all this junk. And every once in a while, they'll walk into a place where it looks like a museum. That's kind of cool. But more often than not, they walk into a garage that hasn't been walked into in years, and it's falling apart. They're pulling moldy stuff. They're running through rats. There's all this, you know, stuff, but yet it's falling apart. And, and James even says, beyond the rags that you're wearing, your gold and your silver are corroded. This is verse 3. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. So what are we storing up? Most of the things that we store up end up corroding, and sometimes it even becomes our doom. I have a love-hate relationship with my garage, and it's not like I'm a hoarder. I don't have overwhelming amounts of stuff, but when things go to my garage, they have a tendency to get lost. And I feel like about every three weeks, I spend a Sunday re-trying to clean up my garage. You guys have heard me say this before. It is an ongoing struggle I have with the things that I have purchased. Now, we're learning a few things about these unrighteous wealthy. The first thing we learn in verse 2 and 3 is that they have selfishly hoarded wealth. And one of the reasons they were unrighteous is that they've hoarded it. That means they are not sharing it. They did not use their wealth for the betterment of the community. They used their wealth only for themselves, and they guarded it to make sure that no one else could take anything from them. In verse 4, he goes on, he says, For listen, Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of those who harvest your fields, who have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. Now, this is bad because the wealth that they got was from cheating people and from oppressing people. And it's clear that there's a reckoning for that from God. So the second thing we notice is that they have defrauded their workers. We see this in verse 4. And this is important that we understand that what we gain at the expense of others is not gain at all. And that's difficult because sometimes it is hard to to pay somebody what they're worth. I understand. Listen, I work at a church and I wish I could pay the people that work at this church what they're really worth because they are amazing. Whether it's our videographers who come and, and help us create this content, to our pastors, to our people in the front office, every single piece that comes in and, and helps make church be church, I wish I could pay them what they're worth. I can't. But I'll tell you this, I am not doing it in order to gain for myself. And that's a bit of a difference, isn't it? If you have gained your wealth on the backs of others because you're not paying them right, because you have cheated them, you are part of the unrighteous wealthy. Again, James doesn't hate wealthy people. James distrusts and dislikes unrighteousness. So when wealth is gained unrighteously, he does have a beef with you. He does have a problem with you. James 5.5 says this, You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. And the metaphor here cannot be lost, right? They're being fattened up like lambs for the slaughter but they've been working towards that day for their entire lives. You see, the third thing that we learn here through verse five is that they follow a self-indulgent lifestyle. And this is selfish is what we mean. They're not giving back. They're not helping others. Therefore, they are unrighteous. Are you catching a theme here? It's really important. There is a selfishness on display that we need to be wary of. 
So when you take a look at your life, the question is, are you living a generous life? Or are you living a selfish life? And how do you know the difference? Because at, at times we lean into selfishness, right? And at times we lean into generosity. The hope is that you lean more into generosity than selfishness. Because if all you are doing is seeking to get the things that you need in order to fatten yourself up, metaphorically, as it were, of course, COVID-19 hasn't helped us. Many of us have gained that 19 pounds that they say we'll, we'll gain. We're working on it. We're working on it. Um, but, but when all we do is think about ourselves and think about protecting the things that we've created and have decided not to be generous and not to be benevolent, then we fall into that unrighteous category. Again, James doesn't hate wealth, but James has no time for unrighteousness that wealth sometimes brings and that this pursuit of wealth sometimes brings. And then he says this in verse 6. He says, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, things get serious when he says they killed people. How did they kill people? Well, th there's a couple different thoughts on this. And if you're following along in the series guide, I unpack it a little bit. Number one, the idea that they're not being paid decent wages. Therefore, they're not able to feed themselves. And so therefore, they're dying. But number two, by using systems in a way that caused harm. You see, it says condemned and innocent. What's interesting about that is that these are legal terms. So there's some that would say there's a legal system that has been manipulated in order to hold these people down and ultimately to kill them. We understand that they oppress the righteous. We see this from verse 6, and this is the fourth way that they are unrighteous. And here's what's tough. In this, this group of texts, normally I love to end a sermon with this, and the sermon's not over, so stick with me. But I, I love to end a sermon with the hope that normally the author gives, except we end today with this particular text. Just a continued warning. And in fact, when we jump in next week, he's not even going to recognize this or rectify it. He's actually going to move on to something else as we move towards the end of the, the chapter and towards the end of the book. The end of this text has nothing in the way of redemption, for this is not the point of the text. And I'm not going to put something in there that's not in there to make you feel good about yourself or make me feel good about myself. But what he is doing is he is speaking to the unrighteous rich. So here's the question. Do you find yourself in the unrighteous category or in the righteous category? Because truly, it's not wealth that is the determinant. It is our hearts which lead to our methods. Are you using people to gain or are you lifting them up? Are you using your wealth in a way that is positive to create a better world for everyone? Or are we hoarding it for ourselves? Is the world that you are creating through what God has given you and what you have worked for, is the world, is it a world that resembles heaven? Or is that too utopic to even think of? I asked this question in the study guide as well. Do we believe that we can make a better world and that what God has gifted us in the form of wealth, in the form of resources, can go to make the world a better place? Because if we believe we can, if, if that's true, then let's get busy. If not, then why are we even bothering to have a conversation about God at all? Do we believe that the way God has gifted us is to be used to make the world a better place? I mean, does this warning still resonate with us today? Again, remember, I said this at the beginning. It would be easy for us to think that this does not apply to me. I am not wealthy. He's talking about somebody else. But if you have food every day, 
if you have a device to watch this on, if you are not worried about what's gonna happen in the next few hours when it comes to the way that you're gonna eat, if you know that you have shelter over your head, you are part of the wealthy. You have something to be able to give. I mean, when it comes to this idea of unrighteous wealthy versus righteous wealthy, which way do you lean? I know which way you want to lean because we all want to lean that way. And by the way, these decisions are not decisions that we make once and then don't think about again. These are decisions that we make every single day. What we purchase, how we purchase it, what we, what we decide to bring into our lives, how much of something we want to have. If you're not sure, if you're not sure about where you are in it, think about, well, do an audit. Maybe that would be the way to say it. Just do an audit about what you're doing with your wealth. And maybe I'll stop using the word wealth because it, it, does, it is a bit of a misdirect. What do you do with the resources that God has given you? How do you help other people with them? How do you serve God with them? Are you a consistent giver when it comes to the needs of the church and the needs of the community that the church helps? And by the way, even through this time, we are still feeding the homeless. We are still helping to take care of people as much as we can. And all of our campuses are. So thank you guys for that, for continuing to give and serve with the resources that God has given us. I mean, we want to make sure that we are in the righteous category. So today, what you've got to do is you've got to think about which way you lean. Most of us don't fall over into the unrighteous category all the time unless we really don't care. And most of us care. You wouldn't be watching this service today if you didn't care. And I'm not saying this to you to give an admonition to anybody who has wealth to say you're not doing enough. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm reading the text of James and I'm trying to be specific that he was speaking to a group of people, but he was warning another group of people. Those righteous those, those ones who, who may even have been wealthy, they needed to remember that sometimes selfishness takes over. Which way do you lean? We want to lean towards righteousness and ultimately fall into that pool if we can. But like I said, it's not always easy. When I was growing up, um, on, on Sabbaths, we couldn't swim. We had a pool but we couldn't swim on Sabbath because we did it all the other days. And I think this is a pretty typical thing. And I remember what I would always do is I would always tempt fate. I'd always find a way to ride my bike around the pool or, or to lean a little bit over to get something out of the pool and then ultimately fall in. But it was a choice. I didn't fall in by accident. I fell in because I chose to lean a certain direction. So when we take a look at what we do with our wealth. When we take a look at what it means to our heart and soul, I want you to lean towards righteousness. I want you to lean out over righteousness as much as you can. And these are gonna be little decisions that you make. What am I gonna do with the first fruits that God has given me? Am I a faithful giver? Am I continuing the work of God through Crosswalk Church or through some other organization? How am I using what God is giving me as a resource to help make the world more like heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And I got to tell you, through this time, we're going to be challenged financially. Now, I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about probably all of us. They say 50% of households have been impacted by the pandemic that we're living through right now. That's a real statistic. So people are going to need help. 
I know that as we've looked at the trend of our giving, we've seen some, some downward trends. We're going to need help. The question is, what are these things that God has gifted us? What do they mean to us? And what are they for? I don't believe they're for hoarding. And from what we've seen, James doesn't believe they are either. What these things are for and what the prophets of the Old Testament are for is to make sure that we are helping to make the world a better place, making sure we are feeding those who need to be fed, making sure we are helping those who need to be helped. And how we do that with the resources God gives us, well, that's a decision every single one of us is gonna make. But I admonish you to think about it and to lean towards righteousness today. I don't like it that James went to this at the end. I love so much of what James does, but I don't love that he went to this particular place at, towards the end of his book. And he's gonna talk about some other things over the next few weeks, but we can't ignore that it's there. And, and if, we're some, if we're a group of people who have been blessed with relative wealth, we have to make sure that we are helping to create systems that are helping people and lifting people up. At Crosswalk, we do that in a multitude of ways. But how do you do it? Because that's the question you have to answer. How do you do it? How does your family take what God has given you and lean towards righteousness? Why don't we pray today? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we want to thank you, first of all, for the way that you have graced us with resources, the ability to survive, and for probably the majority of us, the ability to thrive. Lord, we know that we're going through some hard times and we know that things may get tougher. And so Lord, may, may those who are truly blessed through this time be an incredible resource for those who are suffering a bit more. And Lord, may we continue to work towards the expression of heaven here on earth that is not too utopic, but it's what you've called for on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, and we know that the only way we can do this is by making really specific decisions about the resources that you've given us. So Lord, be with us. May we lean towards righteousness. May we lean towards grace. May we lean towards benevolence. May we lean towards generosity so that we are not counted as the unrighteous wealthy, but as the righteous believers. We pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.